You are watching a master at work. Listening to ATO Talks Radio, Atlanta's number one streaming talk radio station. This is Barrington Martin II. This is the Barrington Report coming to you live this windy and cold February 29th, 2024. I really dislike February 29th because it's a fake day, and if you follow the Gregorian calendar, you would understand that this is the wrong order of the calendar this is supposed to be technically the last day of the year because of course spring is always known to be the first season and winter is always the last season and if we follow the calendar the way that our ancestors follow the calendar february would be the last month of the year give or take a day or two and this is why we actually have um, this extra day on February, not because of the leap year, not because of the so-called supposed um, extra rotations, not extra rotations, but rotations around the sun or um, whatever lie they told us about. It's a lot of lies they told us, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm not going to get into any type of mumbo jumbo of astrology or the cosmos. We're going to talk about something very real, something very honest, and something that needs to be discussed today. You can listen to ATO Talks on Apple, Google App, Alexa, Apple CarPlay, and of course, www.atotalks.com. You can follow me on Substack, barrington.substack.com. Please subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at underscore Barrington II. Nothing but positivity, nothing but totally correct information and different perspectives that you won't see anywhere else on the internet. I meant to say to all my beautiful Twitter followers, I'm going to begin to stop tweeting so much and stop tweeting my ideas so much. I'm going to put them in long form because you guys have to read more. Americans have to read more and we need to become a more intellectual populace. Now, today is the final episode of the American nationalism series that I've been working on. Today is the last day. Um, on today, I'm going to do something that our political pundits, our media never ever does. And we're going to talk about possible solutions, but I'm going to come to you guys this evening with solutions that are uncanny, that have worked before, but have been totally put in, in the shed simply because of who these solutions stem from and the propaganda that was stated against these people when they were an overnight success. What do I mean I say overnight, but 
in utilizing coming sense strategies, they were able to do things that no other government, no other state has done and have successes that no other government and no other state has had since El Salvador more recently. Now, for a brief refresher to those who are now just joining me, I want to talk about that, again, that this is the American Nationalism series. The first um, day, two weeks ago, we spoke about the history of nationalism, in which I told you guys that nationalism says that our membership in a nation takes precedence and ultimately must guide our choices and actions. In terms of guiding choices and action, nationalist thought proposes a specific form of partiality. Rather than treat the interests or claims of persons and groups impartially, the nationalist demands that one favors one's own, either as a group or as an individual person. While nationalism does not claim to be the only form of partiality, it does claim to outrank all others. Loyalty or obligations to other groups or identities are subordinated to national loyalty. Together, these claims function as a political ideology. Now, I just kind of lit up while reading this because I remember, or as it comes to my mind, you guys hear white nationalists a lot, and you guys automatically look at nationalists or nationalism as a bad thing, but this is something that basically every successful nation over history has always had, and that's nationalist pride or a sense of nationalism. And in America, not due to American interests, but outside American interests, foreign interests that have much have played a key role, excuse me, in American politics, have stated that nationalism is a bad thing and globalism is a strength and globalist thought is a strength. And what do they say all the time? Diversity is a strength that we all know that to be a lie with the things that we've seen. Also, a nation is a group of people with a common language, history, culture, and usually geographic territory. A state is an association of people characterized by formal institutions of government, including laws, permanent territorial boundaries, and sovereignty. A state may comprise one or more nations, and a nation may be represented in or ruled by one or more usually contentious states, as in the early modern principalities of Germany, a state comprising or dominated by a single nation is often called a nation state. Now, that was the first week. I told you guys and gave you guys a background of what nationalism is. I gave you guys an understanding of what nationalism was or what it should be. Then last week, I gave you guys the history of nationalism. I told you guys that the first full manifestation of modern nationalism occurred in 17th century England in the Puritan Revolution. I told you guys that England had become the leading nation in scientific spirit, in commercial enterprise, and in political thought and activity. Swelled by immense confidence in the new age, the English people felt upon their shoulders the mission of history, a sense that they were at a great turning point from which a new true reformation and a new liberty would start. I told you guys this last week. Mind you, this happened in the 17th century. We are now in the 21st century, and we are at the cusp of a new beginning, or we should be. In my opinion, we should be at the beginning of a new political renaissance. We should be at the beginning of another Enlightenment age within America with, during 2024 on beyond. Every about 200 years, I would say, a group of people within a nation understand that 
It is time to evolve. It is time for a thought revolution. I like to call it a renaissance because normally revolution um, is normally equated with violence and the spilling of blood. And I don't think that we have to do this because we live in much more civil times and people are much more educated and understand a lot of things more than they did in the past. However, if we ever needed to come to, to those terms, then so be it. But I don't think we need those. What I think we need is a renaissance, a new renaissance, a new enlightenment, a new reformation, like the reformation I mentioned last week on my show. I think that we're at the beginning stages of understanding that the things that we've done up to this point has not been working. And a lot of truths are being uncovered. A lot of things that were once in the dark are now coming to light. And because of that, we're at a new age where we can totally become the country, but mainly be the human beings that we're supposed to be. So with today's show, I'm giving nothing but solutions. Within the finale of my American nationalism series, I will give you a blueprint analysis of what American nationalism is supposed to look like and how it would deliver the country from the peril that it's in. When you look at the problems, guys, that we possess as a nation, you can see that it has been a perfect storm of things that have once happened in the past, yet have now come back full force. As I stated in the last episode, many of these problems we see today occurred in Germany years ago, and the ideology that beat all of the problems we have now was shunned in the process. This is a fact. I gave you guys a 30-minute crash course on what ended the Weimar Republic in Germany without even saying it. Please go back and listen to this after you guys listen to the show tonight. You will understand everything that I say tonight and why it makes sense going forward. This ideology wasn't capitalism, but it was community-based and even greater, a sense of community that was predicated on nationalism. So let's dig deeper. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit controversial, but not really, but it's controversial as far as the information I'm going to detail to you guys this evening. I'm going to give you guys insight on why an old ideology that has been hidden from the public has worked wonders and why did it work wonders and why we don't see it anymore. I can't really answer that question, but after I give you guys an understanding of the solutions that we should, that should be implemented, implemented, excuse me, on upon every Western nation, you should ask yourselves, why hasn't this been adopted by any government in the West or in the world? since the early 1900s. Now, one thing that you got to understand about Germany, because Germany is going to be the focal point tonight, and I'm going to talk about things that are not really spoken about, about why Germany was a success in the early 1930s, but more importantly, why the people of Germany love the man that is now known as the most hated man ever in the world or in world history. I'm going to give you guys insight on the changes that, are, that were implemented by his regime to which brought prosperity to Germany that is never talked about. And why I talk about this, I'm going to speak about it in the sense of it being a solution to America's woes. We're not going to talk about the negative things. We're not going to talk about the, the alleged negative things at all. We're going to talk about the positive things that are not spoken about and the political changes that needs to be made here in America today in 2024 that is going to provide prominence. It's going to give us a strong sense of nationalism. 
is going to give us uh, our communities a better sense of integrity, but ultimately it's going to give a solution that will basically work for everyone or almost everyone. Common sense solutions for common sense problems. Now, you have to understand that in Germany, um, economic and social conditions were terrible until about the late 1930s. By September of 1936, unemployment was reduced from 6,1400, and that's in January, to less than 338,000 by 1936. National income had increased from 41 billion to 56 billion. German trade was prospering and deficits of the cities and provinces had almost disappeared. So how was unemployment eliminated? In this country, we talk about defeating homelessness. We talk about defeating unemployment, but we have yet to find a solution to defeat unemployment the way it needs to be defeated. So how did they do it in Germany? They increased government spending on public works, infrastructure, railways, roads, and public building projects. Remember the Autobahn? Still one of Germany's greatest creations. Indirect support of private works projects. A sharp reduction in taxation to create incentive. A reduction in taxation and increased state contributions to make employment more attractive. Public good workfare schemes with private and government schemes, non-competitive. The effect was an injunction, injection, excuse me, of increased wages into the national economy, increased consumer spending, which itself led to job increases. By 1936, there was a shortage of labor, especially in the building and metallurgical trades. Now, another big thing is taxation. It is stated that the philosophy of taxation around this time was the taxation of families, especially of those with numerous children, has been notably decreased. I will give you guys sources from all of this information um, when you check out my Substack after I post this episode. But you guys have to understand, and I said this today on Twitter, a country whose calling card is freedom and liberty cannot be a country of true freedom and liberty if they tax their citizens the way the United States taxes all of us. Whether you guys understand this or not, we are debt slaves. We are tax slaves. This was implemented in 1913 under the Federal Reserve Act. And it first started, honestly, within the Civil War when President Lincoln enabled the income tax. It was supposed to be to pay for the war. But then, he, then again, um, he gathered Congress together to basically um, make it for a longer period of time. But we're not going to get into that. Civil liberties. Again, guys, for those who are now joining us, these are the solutions to how nationalism can defeat and destroy the woes that Americans are dealing with right now in America. Civil liberties. All workers and their employers were protected by a tribunal of social honor, which laid down conditions of employment that were superior to any comparable legislation in the world. Except for reasons forest majeure, it was illegal to dismiss an employee, all of which, including employers, had recourse to independent mediation by tribunal. Another quote. We have laid firm foundations for the new state. This is what a leader should sound like in respect to these issues. We have laid firm foundations for the new state. We have sown seeds that have sunk deep. 
We have won millions upon millions of men for the ideas on which this state is based. We have introduced them to the life of this state, always in the conviction that it's not laws which protect the state. It is the living will, the faith, the confidence, and the courage of a people which are its true protection. Now, when you look at the things that I've taught you guys about nationalism, understand that these people, nationalists of a nation, do not ever think that the laws are the bread and butter of that nation. People understand that they are the bread and brother of that nation. In our country right now, we have people called constitutional conservatives. We have people who are staunch constitutionalists, but they have yet to adhere to the reality of this, and that is that politicians, corporations, NGOs, PACs, you name it, have begun to wipe their ass with our United States Constitution. This shows that that piece of paper that was written so long ago, almost 1,400 years, excuse me, almost 400 years ago, has not stood the test of time as, and has not given us what it claims to give us as much as we got to lie to ourselves about it. I'll go a step further and tell you guys and be very, very frank and honest with you guys and say that um, a lot of the things that our founding fathers stated have become archaic and outdated in a way. We state that the Constitution is a living document in a lot of ways that it is, but at some point in time, we have to use common sense to say that certain things need to be changed. Not that laws or more laws need to be created, but in the sense that the people need more protections from the government and the government needs less power. There can be an organizational structure that continues to allow people to be free or to remain independent. But if our mythos of the United States is really true, then if you revive the colonists, the revolutionaries from the dead, and they lived in the times that we live today, they would say that our government today is extremely tyrannical than their, than the Britain, Great Britain were or the people that they were fighting. That's a guarantee. This is a fact. But we live in la-la land. We enjoy so many luxuries that people don't get a chance to enjoy. We get on social media and we argue and we bicker and we are pompous and we act like that our opinions matter when ultimately they don't matter because we still endure the tyranny that we endure. Now, again, this is not to say that we need to defeat government. No, 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 no. We must understand and we must learn what government is supposed to be, which is simply a tool. Everyone seems to know that government is a tool. In fact, if you look at the history, if you look at the Treaty of Paris, if you look at any type of um, document around the Revolutionary Era, it stated that the federal government was created to be a tool, to be an arm of each of the 13 colonies that were created. We call our government or the people within our government civil servants, but they're not civil servants. Sure. You vote for them, for them to work for you on your behalf, because as the Constitution states that it's supposed to be a constitutional republic, a republican form of government specifically. But that has gotten lost over time when money has been implemented within our politics. And this is something that Germany understood a long time ago. But for whatever reason, we are not learning lessons from the past. We're not learning anything. We're legitimately repeating the past because, again, human nature is finite. 
And if a group of people will be greedy five, six, seven hundred years ago, they'll be greedy today. The national state divides its inhabitants into three classes, state citizens, state subjects and foreigners. Again, this is a leader. This is what a nationalist leader would say to his people. Let me repeat that. The national state divides its inhabitants into three classes, state citizens, state subjects and foreigners. It must be held in greater honor to be a citizen of a state, even if only crossing sweeper than to be a king in a foreign state. Again, this continues to support the nationalist framework of thought. This continues to support the pride that one must have to be in a specific nation. Class. We have broken down classes in order to set new ones in their place. We have broken down classes to make way for the people as a whole. Our education also trains men to respect intellectual achievement. We bring one to respect the spade, another to respect the compass of the pen. All now are but the state follow countrymen, fellow countrymen, excuse me, and it is their achievement which determines their value. Beautiful people, think about the things that we value today. Think about the things that we glorify today. We have pop culture icons that have never contributed anything except entertainment. When you look at that quote and you think about what makes fame in the United States of America, what makes fame in the world, what people get famous for, what people become rich for, what people receive notoriety for, it's all garbage. The quote states that the man who who works a trade is an achiever as the man who today would play basketball, football, baseball, any other sport. This is what we glorify. We glorify things that don't add on to our nation, but just entertains us. And that is the problem. At some point in time, we have to grow up. It's almost in the sense that when we, our political thought has been so stunted because we enjoy the comforts of life, and I get it. I understand. But at some point in time, we have to remember that a lot of things or more things matter than the things that we give value to in this country. What is necessary is to teach each class and profession the importance of the others. All together form one mighty body, laborer, peasant, and professional man. I'm going to read that one more time. What is necessary is to teach each class and profession the importance of the others. All together form one mighty body, laborer, peasant, and professional man. We are equal of importance, and that is something that has been lost. The CEO is as important to the janitor based on this ideology. Why? Because we are all a part of one nation. We all have a job to do, no matter what that job is. No matter how futile that job is, no matter how important that job is, all jobs are important. All people are important within a nation. And this is something that we do not understand. We have been brainwashed to believe that a person's value is predicating on how much money they make to to whereas people don't want to perform certain jobs or people are ashamed of their skills or the things that they do, not understanding that they are an integral piece of the puzzle. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, nationalism is important. 
This is why American nationalism will deliver us from the woes that we encounter. Labor. All work which is necessary ennobles him who performs it. One thing is shameful to contribute nothing to the community. If you guys knew who was saying these things, you would be surprised, but we're not going to talk about that. That's totally not important. I'm going to say that again, and this is under what a leader should say in respect to labor of the nationalist philosophy. All work, which is necessary, ennobles him who performs it. Only one thing is shameful, to contribute nothing to the community. That goes along with what I said earlier. No matter what you do, as long as you're doing something, as long as you're contributing something, you are doing more than the person that contributes nothing. Because within the nationalist framework of mind, within a nationalist philosophy, within a completely nationalist society or country, everybody who contributes where this a lot or a little matters. Nothing falls into a man's lap from heaven. It is from the labor that life grows. Social honor recognizes no distinction between the employer and the unemployed. All of them work for a common purpose and in, are entitled to equal honor and respect. That is so interesting. That is such a thought. That is, that is so profound. To not place value on the material what a person has, but place value on the person itself simply because that person is an important aspect of the nation. Social welfare. Social welfare was based on the concept of one for all and all for one. All German workers who received a pension and insurance in the event of sickness or disability. Whilst some of the rights are taken for granted today, it should be remembered that at the time, such social protection was unheard of outside of Germany. Young people. Child labor was prohibited. Hours of work regulated, especially for expectant and new mothers. Very important. Now, I'm going to pause it right here because I want to to inject this lecture with a couple of words about this. Every great nation understands the importance of its women. However, every great nation does not allow its women to run amok. Let me repeat that. Every great nation understands the importance of its women, the importance of femininity, the importance of a woman in general. However, every nation does not allow its women to run amok simply because of, quote unquote, ideologies that are pro-woman or pro-womanist. This is something that the West has lost sight of completely. This is something the West has totally, totally not understood. Let me continue. Child labor was prohibited. Hours of work regulated, especially for expectant and new mothers. Safe working conditions provided for persons between 14 and 18 years of age prohibited from working in excess of eight hours daily. Night work for young persons similarly prohibited. Paid holidays of persons below 16 years old, 15 working days. Above 16 years old, 12 working days usually increased to 18 days without regard to age. Workers' rights has always been important in any great nation. A lot of people understand this. But, again, these are the types of things that America and other westernized nations have lost sight of. Good work is undoubtedly being done towards eliminating corruption in public and business life, and administration is being reorganized 
on more efficient and economical lines. This was written in 1933. This was said about Germany in 1933, I believe. Now, has that ever been said in, about America in your lifetime? And if it has been said about America, what has been the proof of this? Think about this. The whole of education should be designed so as to occupy a boy's free time in cultivation of his body. He has no right to loaf about idly, but after his day's work is done, he ought to harden his young body so that life may not find him soft when he enters it. No one should be allowed to sin at the expense of posterity that is of the race. Now, in this sense, I'm going to use race as far as the American race. I'm going to go off on a limb and say that. I'm going to go off on a limb and say that. Why? Because in America, we share a common language. We share, excuse me, we should share a common language. We should share common beliefs, common values. In spite of having different color skin tones, we should share commonalities of understandings of things within the, this nation specifically. We are teaching our kids to be weak. We are teaching our kids that it's okay to be soft. And I don't mean soft as in having compassion or empathy. I mean being having no mental dexterity. I mean in teaching them that they were born in the right body and that they can automatically change who they are. I mean, I mean imparting upon them the insanity that they can be something different within that does not reflect their outward appearance. We are creating long-term damage that we are not seeing today, and I don't think people understand that. I think people are going about things the way they see fit based on their feelings and emotion and not based on logic. And in a lot of respects, sometimes feelings matter, but ultimately when it comes to the success of a nation, the survival of a nation, feelings don't matter, only facts do. And again, in order for us to write the course of this ship, we have to possess a nationalistic state of mind. Freedom of movement and speech. I'm going to read a quote that was in 19, I don't know what date, excuse me, the exact year, it's 1930s, but here we go. Last July, feeling that the press of this country was willfully lying and conducting a political campaign against Germany, I resolved to go to Berlin and make free and independent investigation. I was determined to do pretty much as I pleased when I got there and no one interfered with my movements. I found Germany, comparatively speaking, a free country, much freer than some of its neighbors. My own views were not always acceptable to many friends among who I count different nationalities or belief systems. But soon I found out that having a certain belief does not preclude one holding views that few labor men in my own country would dare to express to the comrades of their party. As much as we say that there's free speech in this country, there isn't. There isn't. That's always been a lie. And the more you get on social media and the more you say things that are not necessarily provocative but go against the conditioned mind or the conditioned brain, you'll see that free speech is not really what it's supposed to be, especially when people want to outlaw specific speech that they don't like. 
And that's the thing. I don't want to say that it's hard to find a solution to this, but what you will start to see is that the issue is a lot of people's beliefs are connected to their feelings so much that people don't want to adhere to logic. People rather feel good with a lie than feel bad with the truth. And that's something that's hard to change because we have been coddled too much in this country. But in a nationalistic frame of mind, within a nationalistic ideology, within a nationalist state, absolute truth reigns supreme. And that's important to say that. Benefits. During the first years of government, the improvement in the German people's standard of living, Social Security, and their holiday and leisure facilities placed Germany well ahead of all other nations, including the United States. Such prosperity and social benefits have never reached the same scale anywhere in the world, unless perhaps in a few privileged conclaves of society. I'm going to get more to this a little bit later. Violence. More people died as a result of the tiny abortive Easter uprising against British rule in Ireland in 1916 than they did as a result of political violence in Germany during the 1930s, early 1930s, that is. The nationalist form of democracy was based on the principle of community of the people, which had its origins at the time of Pericles. This conception of democracy as an expression of the popular will was confirmed in the nationalist regime by conferring on the nation the right of organizing plebiscites in order to give utterance to the people's desires. The nationalist form of democracy was pure and more representative than that of a parliamentary regime, which takes no account of majority opinion. Immigration, Europe to name a few, politically, excuse me, political ability to experience genuine motivation, interest, nationality is often based on social background and influenced by interests. Commercial, for instance, in which the national good comes secondary. Again, in this nationalist form of democracy when it's nationalist state of thought the state itself comes first and the state is not anything but the people of that nation very important to understand ladies and gentlemen something else that i want to read to you guys womanhood listen to this i give women the same rights as men but i do not think that they are the same to the one as to the other. The woman is the life partner of the man. She ought not to be burdened with the task for which man alone is made. But in every case where women do not marry, and there are many in Germany owing to the shortage of men, they have to write to earn their living just in the same way as any man. This is common sense. This is common sense. Everyone is entitled to the same rights. Everyone should be equal under the law. But it is understood that we are not at any sense of the way equal. You're not even the same person that you was last week. You're not even the same person that you was last year in respect to equality. So this notion or these types of things that the, our government pushes, the ideologies that the media companies push in respect to Equity and equality, it's all BS and it's all fake. The nationalist state refused to admit female labor in factories merely because such labor is cheap. 
There is, of course, a certain amount of industrial work which can only be performed by women, but an essential condition is that this sort of work should not be injurious to health. Remember how the feminist movement stated that women don't get paid enough or the same amount as men, and it's been totally debunked so many times, but because it sounds good, because it is one of those quote-unquote issues that tugs at people's heartstrings, and they sound good saying that they're fighting for women, but they sound like absolute idiots because they don't actually know what they're talking about. Quotes like this totally defeated. The phrase emancipation of women is only an invention of a subpar intellect, and its content is stamped with the same spirit. In the really good periods of German life, the German woman never needed to emancipate herself. You can replace German with American there. Really think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Again, as I stated at the beginning of show, excuse me, as I stated in the beginning of the show, the problems that we are seeing today have already happened, and the solution for those problems have already taken place. Now, the only thing that we are tasked with is learning from the mistakes of the past. A very smart person does this. A very smart person doesn't make the same mistakes as someone else. A very smart person learns from those mistakes. Yet it seems, as time wears on, not only are we committing the same mistakes, but we are committing new and much more troublesome mistakes. Serviceness, excuse me, interest-free loans. Interest-free loans up to a certain amount of money were paid to newly married couples provided that the wife having here there to been a wage earner, relatives of the labor market by her marriage. The loan is redeemable at the rate of 1% per month, and for each child born, it is reduced by 25%. This led to almost a million newly married couples taking advantage of this scheme, and they produced almost a million children. Beautiful people, as I've always told you guys time and time again, Marriage and baby making the marriage should be subsidized. Not before I read this, I did not know that this was already a thing. And I found out that a little less than 100 years ago, this was put in place. That the government gave interest-free loans to newly married couples. And for every child that they had, the loan was redeemable at the rate of 1% per month, and for each child that they had, it was reduced by 25%. Why are we not doing these things today? Why? What sense does it make to subsidize bad decision-making from individuals, specifically women in respect of being able to have a child and having the government take care of that child? Totally abandoning the family. And you abandon the family, you abandon the community. When you abandon the community, you abandon the state, and ultimately you start to abandon the nation. So when you see a government that is doing this, you see that this government is not nationalist-based. And if this government is not nationalist-based, then you have to ask yourself, what are the motivations for this government? And if this government is not nationalist-based, this government is not for the people. And if this government is not for the people, you have to ask, why do the people continue to support this government? 
And by asking why do the people support this government, you have to ask why do the people willfully give their money to this government? For this government to not perform the will of the people who it receives this revenue from. I'm going to get y'all to think tonight. I'm going to get y'all to think about this all weekend. To every ear that hears this, you're going to have no choice but ask yourselves these questions. And the moment you cannot come up with a substantial, intelligent answer, you should understand, but more notably, you should feel within your gut that something is wrong. I found a a very, very um, interesting quote, and I felt that it made sense. Capitalism and Bolshevism are the two sides of the same coin. And I really had to think about that. It made me think about that in every sense of the way we are dealt a hand of duality where we only have two choices as if there is no other way. We always talk about the greatness of capitalism and how capitalism has helped out all Americans. And over the course of time, capitalism has been away. But it's very interesting that we never talk about nationalism and placing a value on people and placing a value of the people within the nation and being a nation first type nation. And again, everything that I'm saying to you guys this evening, these quotes, these factoids have already happened. But for whatever reason, we don't talk about this. We don't comb through the facts We don't take the positive from the past and implement them in the present so we can have better futures. No, we don't do that. We have been so programmed and so indoctrinated against our own well-being that we don't even question things anymore. We don't even ask questions about things we should be asking questions about. We just do as we are told, like the good slaves that we are. And at some point in time, beautiful people, you have to Wake up and understand that you only have one life to live. No one's going to live it for you. And that if you want solutions, you are going to have to find the solutions yourselves. Because they are out here. You just have to be willing to find them. Morality. The fight against the poisoning of the soul must be waged alongside cultivation of the body. The life of the people must be freed from the asphyxiating perfume of modern eroticism. The aim and method must be governed by the thought of preserving our nation's health and body and soul. The right of personal freedom comes second in importance to maintain, excuse me, importance to the duty of maintaining the nation. I'm going to say it again. The fight against the poisoning of the soul must be waged alongside cultivation of the body. The life of the people must be freed from the asphyxiating perfume of modern eroticism. The aim and method must be governed by the thought of preserving our nation's health and body and soul. The right of personal freedom comes second in importance to the duty of maintaining the nation. We are gluttonous. We're extremely gluttonous. We are obsessed with porn. We're obsessed with eroticism, like this quote says. The World Health Health Organization 
states by 2030 that 50% of the world is going to be obese. I want to say a good 40, 50% of America is obese right now today. And you know if 50% of the world is going to be obese by 2030, then that number is going to climb for Americans at a maybe 10 to 20% clip, maybe even 25%. When you understand things like this, and you see that, again, people had the answers a long time ago, you should wonder why a, a nation's government doesn't care about things like this. I've told you guys time and time again, we place so much emphasis on freedom and we do not give two dams about responsibility. You have to have for as many parts freedom that you have, you have to double the responsibility because if not, you get things get out of hand and things are out of hand right now. Housing. A subsidized housing program was based on providing all German families with a maximum of two story accommodation each with its own garden, thereby developing an attachment to the soil. The building of masonites and flats was discouraged. Social work. The purpose of social work should not be to distribute favors, but to restore rights. Now, this is the last thing I'm going to talk about. Maybe two. What time is it? Okay. Maybe, maybe the last couple of things we're going to talk about. But I think this is important because we are seeing this right now in our country. Foreign visitors. Do I want to talk about this? Let me see. Okay, race. This is what I'm going to talk about. We do not say that one race is superior to another, but we do say that there is a difference between the various races of the world. Now, I have stated time and time again that there is no such thing as a racial culture. I don't believe in race culture. I think that culture is attached to things like region. Culture is attached to specific commonalities like that. For example, I live in the South. In the South, things like fried chicken, fried catfish, barbecue, collard greens, cornbread, things like that do not belong to black people, but it belongs to Southern culture, so to speak, right? However, I would be remiss if I didn't say that there has been shown scientifically, biologically as well, that certain races uh, possess certain traits or certain habits more so than other races. Now, again, this goes back to the notion that we are all not created equal. The only equality that we are entitled to is under the law. But there are some facts that we cannot shy away from. And we must respect, ultimately, that no one's better than another person naturally. However, there are distinct differences that we have to acknowledge, and there's nothing wrong with an acknowledgement of those things. Now, this is the last quote I'm going to talk about before I end, because it deals with, um, as I stated, foreign visitors or immigration, so to speak. The nation intends henceforth to be the master of its own house to the exclusion of alien elements. The government must see to it that only persons of authentic descent are admitted to exert an influence on the destiny of the people of said nation. I think that is very, very, very important, beautiful people. 
Now, in the sense of this quote, to be American in this day and age cannot have anything attributed to skin color, meaning that there is no uniform skin color because we're all different. I think that when you call yourself an American, if you are truly an American, you embody specific values, specific traits within those values and a specific culture that only Americans have. We don't have that anymore. We have no identity. We bought into the melting pot BS and in turn, our country is in shambles right now. We have a problem with immigration, in my opinion, legal and illegal. I personally feel like to solve our immigration problem, there should be no legal or illegal immigrants allowed into the nation for the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, there shouldn't be illegal immigrants coming in in the first place, but legal immigration should be stopped for the next 10 to 15 years, almost to 20 years. Why? Because we have to establish an identity in this country. We have to better the family unit in this country. We have to better our relations between each other in this country. We have to treat each other better. We have to understand that all of us have a job to do, and that job is very vital to the sustaining of this country. I believe if we adapt a nationalist framework of thought, we will be fine. And not only will we be fine, we will be that house on the hill that was once spoken about within the first Enlightenment age. But we have to accept the fact and we have to accept the reality that America has never been the country it claims to be. We have to admit and be honest and face facts that America has never lived up to its own expectations. Only then, if we are truly, truly honest with ourselves and honest with each other and attempt to do the necessary things individually for the greater good of the nation, only then can we make the changes that need to be made. But if we continue along this course thinking that in November we're going to go press a button and our country is going to be better based on an individual that doesn't even represent the interests of the country, but the interests of their stakeholders. We're going to fall deeper and deeper and deeper into the pits. One day coming up soon, I'm going to talk about specifically the aspects of the German culture in the 1930s that is not discussed today. And I'm going to talk about it openly because this is a conversation that needs to be had. This is one of the beauties of the Barrington Report, ladies and gentlemen, because you're not going to hear about things like this from anywhere else because it's always going to be banned. It's always going to be censored. But more often than not, people are afraid and they don't know, they don't know how to talk about these things in the way that I do. I have, to, I have to toot my own horn with this because I was really treading over uncharted territory and speaking about this the way that I wanted to. And I did it. And I'm so happy about this because I wanted this information to get out to the public. I wanted this to be on the record because these are the types of ideas that's going to spark the flame into better ideas going forward. But people don't know about them. And I feel like as a self-proclaimed philosopher that it is important for me to impart these ideas upon you guys in my own way so that um, my words 
can provoke thought within you to understand not only what I'm saying, but to create your own thoughts about these things that many of you probably never heard about before. You listen to ATL Talks Radio, Atlanta's number one streaming talk radio station. This is, again, Barrington Martin II. This is the Barrington Report. I appreciate you all every Thursday for tuning in to me and listening to all the wonderful things I have to say about life, society, and politics. I hope you guys learned something today. Um, you listening, or you can you can listen to ATL Talks on Apple, Google App, Alexa, Apple CarPlay, and of course www.atltalks.com. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio. You can listen to us, um, or listen to me rather, on Spotify. It's an Apple Podcast. The name of my podcast on those platforms are the Barrington Report replays. You can follow me on barrington.substack.com and, of course, follow me on Twitter at underscore Barrington II. I appreciate you guys again for tuning in this wonderful Thursday. I will catch you guys next week, first week of March, with some more beautiful and informative content. I hope you guys enjoy your weekends. The spring is coming, and I hope you guys really, really do something um, fun with your family and just do something great with yourselves. And remember, beautiful people, in order for you to love others, you must first learn to love yourself. I want to thank all of you guys for tuning in again. I will see you next Thursday here on the Barrington Report. Love you. Peace.